So how many of you in this room are old enough to remember 1975? I'm just curious. Okay. And how many of you have lived long enough to at least have some inkling of maybe what 1975 was like? I was, I was four years old for most of 1975. Um, but there was this song by a guy named Mac Davis. How many of you guys remember Mac Davis, right? So Mac Davis was this handsome dude. Uh, he was an actor, and I say that in air quotes that I'm not going to use. I mean, people called him an actor. If you look at his credits, he's listed as an actor and a singer, and I would probably debate both of those two things. But <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean or anything. It, go on YouTube. You can judge for yourself. So here's the deal. He had this song that made him really famous. He actually had a few. He would write songs for other people. And uh, he had this song that made him super famous, and you might remember it or you might have heard it. It's called It's Hard to Be Humble. How many of you guys remember that song? Um, the song was meant to be funny, right? It was meant to be kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, this guy basically that was sort of so full of himself that he didn't see that he actually wasn't humble. And so I'm going to read to you. These are his lyrics, not mine. Uh, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Some of you guys want to sing it. I can't wait to look in the mirror, right? I get better looking each day. Uh, where is it? To know me is to love me. And he actually says this is his words. I must be one hell of a man. Yes, he must. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Right. So he writes this song and it comes out and people didn't really get necessarily that it was sort of satirical or maybe he was serious. I don't know. So people would sing this song with gusto at his concerts because they're like, yes, finally somebody gets me. Right? For real. So, if you didn't guess it already, our relationship goal today is humility. Stepping down so someone else can step up. A peacefulness of heart that allows you to stand aside in order to affirm the value of someone else. And let me just say that humility is a tough one. And not be, I don't, I'm not saying that because the way that he's saying it. I'm saying that I think the concept of humility, we've talked about it in so many ways. Um, in the church and just in life that a lot of times we think in order to be humble, it means that you basically just need to be like always groveling like a doormat or something. Um, we think that it's this weak character trait or something that opens us up to being uh, maybe people taking advantage of us. But that's not necessarily what we're talking about today. And so I want to kind of maybe look at this in the Bible and try and define it so that we have a really well-rounded idea of what humility is. If you want to be a loving person, Humility is this non-negotiable, defining characteristic. Humility affirms the worth of someone else. And just like every other act of love that we've been talking about, stepping down so someone else can step up actually gives us the opportunity for great joy. So Paul actually talked a lot about humility uh, in his writings. And when he did, it was always in the context of relationship, either our relationship with God or our relationship with other people. And... Uh, Humility is this key, he says, to drawing closer to God and closer to other people in fellowship. And that's really what we've been talking about. It's our theme for the year, right? Drawing closer. So this is exactly what we need if we want to have that closeness to God. It's exactly what we need if we want to have that closeness to other people in our relationships. And so we're going to begin in our scripture today. It's Philippians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to go to verse 11, but we'll start with the first couple here. 
Paul's saying, therefore, if you have any encouragement from me, from your being in union with the Messiah, any comfort flowing from love, any fellowship with me in the spirit or any compassion and sympathy, then complete my joy by having a common purpose and a common love by being one in heart and mind. So Paul is trying to provoke the Philippians and I think us today too. Uh, He's basically saying, listen, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what I'm saying. And here's what it is. If... The big word, if, if, say it with me, if, if you love Jesus and you truly care about me, Paul is saying, then please work together in the way that you care for each other. Their continued growth was his goal and his focus. And really all Paul is doing, he's just echoing the words of Jesus where he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And loving people was one of those things that he told us to do. And so next Paul begins to unpack what this should look like in our lives if we truly do this. And we'll be in verses three and four here. Do nothing out of rivalry or vanity, but in humility, regard each other as better than yourselves. Look out for each other's interests and not just for your own. So he's basically saying, listen, look at your lives. Take stock of where you're at. Look at what you're doing and what you're involved in. Are you unified with other people in the way that you place their needs before your own? People who love Jesus set aside their personal agendas to lift up each other and take care of each other. And so this was key for me this week. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That could be a tattoo or something, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humble people let go of image management and self-promotion. They honor others by making the other's needs as real and as important as their own. And that comes from a book that we were looking at a couple years ago during our Spiritual Discipline segment. And it's a great book if you've not read it, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. It's got lots of great stuff in there. But um, now, this isn't talking about like Instagram, self-promoting on Instagram or anything like that. I mean, I guess it could in a way, but... The point of this isn't talking about yourself or letting people know what you're doing or anything like that. It's correcting this idea of pride or uh, self-promotion maybe in a negative manner. And so Jesus did this a lot, right? Jesus talks about um, correcting these kinds of things, especially pride and especially with his disciples. uh, When they argued, right, over who was the best or who was going to be first or who was going to have the seat at the right hand of Jesus, all these different things. Who was going to have the highest honor at the table? Jesus would address it, I mean, immediately. And so sometimes he would tell a story. Other times he would use something nearby as kind of like the sermon example, uh, Matthew eighteen four, where he, there's this kid, right? And he's like, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of course, we need to know that kids at that point were, weren't treasured quite the way that they are now, right? Uh, Our world sometimes can revolve around our children. But back then, um, when kids were old enough, they were considered hired help. Some of you parents are shaking your heads like, yes, I like this idea. So his point here is like, okay, we need to be humble like this child, this child that comes with faith uh, when they need something. And then when, of course, Jesus's life was drawing to a close and he knew that he wanted to make sure that the disciples got the message. And so what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands. And you guys might remember this, but he lowers himself to the status that's even less than a household servant as he washes the feet of his disciples. And if you remember, even then they protested, right? They're like, no, you can't do this, Peter. Lord, no. And then he says, Peter, 
I have to do this. I have, if you belong to me, I have to do this. And then he's like, okay, wash all of me then, right? <laughs> he's like, just the feet will do, Peter. We're good, right? So Jesus gave this ultimate example of humility in this moment. And of course, all the time he was looking out for the interests of other people. But the thing that really got my attention this week is thinking about the idea that he descended from equality with God to die for us. I mean, think about what his existence was like before he came to earth. And we get some glimpses of that, like in Genesis, where we see him as this agent of creation. It's kind of connected to 1 John. All the marvelous and wonderful and glorious things that he must have experienced. And then he has this moment where he descends from that equality to die for us. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says, Let your attitude toward one another be governed by your being in union with the Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus. Though he was in the, the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself in that he took the form of a slave by becoming like human beings are. Some of that stuff maybe is hard to get our brain around, like what those words mean, and I don't have time to necessarily dig into that uh, idea of laying aside and, and all of that, but uh, one thing that I want you to think about, this past week, many of you know, that uh, our Lenten season started. And so lots of people will observe that in different ways. Often Protestant churches don't, but some are starting to do that. But the whole idea of this, as far as uh, Christians that do observe it, what they do is they observe a period of fasting. And there's repentance involved, there's moderation, and then there's uh, these spiritual disciplines that we focus on. But the purpose, it's not about the stuff, it's not about the things that you're doing. The purpose of it is to set aside time for reflection. To reflection on Jesus and his sacrifice and what he did. We contemplate his suffering, his life, his death, his burial. Part of the reason that we fast is so that we can identify, at least in some way, with how he must have felt. Although there's no way that could even touch it. But then there's another part of that too when we fast because it helps us to focus on God, we take the time that maybe we would be eating or those kinds of things, and we use those moments uh, to maybe get into deeper prayer or studying scripture. This increased focus on those kinds of things. And just so you guys know, um, your elder board uh, on Monday, we're actually going to undertake a period of fasting. And we would invite you, we would encourage you as a congregation to join us in that. And you can do it lots of different ways. I'm not going to go into it or unpack it now, but one of the main things we're praying for is just wisdom. We want to know what God wants to do here. We want to know how we can support what God wants to do here. Um, we want to know what God sees for Desperation Church's future. And so we invite you to join with us. If you want more information about that or you want to talk about it, you can grab one of us afterwards and we can kind of clue you into at least what we're doing. But I would invite you in some way to do that. That would be great. But the goal of when we fast and we do these things and this type of reflection is we are to be in union with Messiah, in union with Jesus and in his sacrifice. And part of what we do in that is that we embrace his attitude of humility, right? The humility that Jesus had. Philippians continues in verse 8. And when Jesus appeared as a human being, he humbled himself still more by becoming obedient even to death. Death on a stake as a criminal. Therefore, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That in honor of the name given Yeshua, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai, or Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
So rather than seizing this equality that he had with the Father, Jesus surrenders it. Crucifixion, guys, was not only one of the most painful ways to die, but it was one of the most humiliating ways to die. Crucifixion was too good for Romans, right? Romans would not crucify other Romans. It was really reserved for criminals that were not Romans most of the time. So here you have Jesus, and he submits himself to it. And then Jesus was raised up, and he destroyed the curse of sin that separated us from God. And Jesus was exalted as his reward because he was obedient even unto death. Matthew 23, 12 says this, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. These are the words of Jesus. But not only did he say it, he lived it, right? He humbled himself, and then he was exalted. He didn't just talk about humility in some type of abstract way. And sometimes I think we can do that, right? We talk about these things, uh, disciplines or different things that God, characteristics, right, of being Christians. And we'll talk about them in this abstraction, but there's not like a reality to it. There's not a consequence. It doesn't come to bear on our lives necessarily. Like we can talk all day about the idea of whatever it is. But then when you start to talk about, well, what does that look like in your life? Like how is God challenging you to apply it? Lots of times you're like, uh, I don't know. That's just what I heard on podcast, right? Or whatever, whatever your answer is. And so Jesus was not like that, right? He was practical. He wouldn't just say, hey, do this, but he would do it. He wouldn't just show his disciples something, but he would actually demonstrate it and then get them involved in doing it. He gave these personal, concrete examples of what it means for us to be humble, to lay aside our honor, even honor that sometimes we think we're due, right? It's like, well, you know, I did do this all by myself, right? So I really hope someone notices. And then when no one does, you're like all angry, right? Jesus, if anyone deserved honor, right? It was him. He set aside his honor and came to save us. And so he did that. Why? Because he wanted to serve other people. And so he challenges us to do the same. Who deserved honor more than Messiah? And yet he surrendered all of it to obey the Father. And so like Jesus, we're called to do that very same thing. We are called to surrender our selfishness in obedience to God. And let me just tell you from personal experience, it's hard. As if you didn't know, right? Some of you are nodding your heads. Some of you are like, no, it's pretty easy for me, really. I do it all the time. I'm a mom. (laughs) Surrender is what motherhood is, okay? Who is this guy, by the way, right? Like, I can, anyway. So, Paul says, because of Jesus, we have this opportunity. We have this opportunity to draw close to God. And so there's some things that happen in that, right? One of the things is that it unites us with other believers. People around this room that are sitting with you. Other people that love Jesus. Other people that are pulling and striving in the same way that you are to see God do something amazing in this city. As a part of a church, as a part of a community, but not just this one, like as a part of this larger world vision that God has for his church and what he wants to do with it. But it all starts with our humility. It all starts for sur- with surrender of our selfishness and obedience to God. And so we're united with other followers and it pleases God when we humble ourselves to look out for other people's interests. We kind of have an option here. We can either build up or we can tear down those people that we love. And every time we have an opportunity to speak or do something, we're presented with this choice. Our humility or lack of in normal everyday circumstances is the key. So think about how like we handle these true 
to life situations where we're confronted with being humble or we're confronted with our pride maybe. Because our desire to be first is ingrained within us, right? Have you ever met a humble toddler? No, you have not, right? Because you want what you want and you want it now. Some of you are like, my toddler's humble. Think about what you just said to yourself. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so... We have this thing that's like in us. And remember, we talked about this before. Part of that's good, right? Because if we didn't have this, uh, this flesh part of who we are, right, we would starve. We wouldn't be driven to, uh, to achieve things and do things. God put that in there for a reason. But right, remember, it's supposed to be balanced with this spirit side of who we are. And so God wants us. Yes, he wants us to strive, but he doesn't want us to be selfish. And so our instinct from the very time that we're born is to get what we want. And so the question may be then, well, can humility even be learned if that's the case? How can I escape uh, my destiny as a selfish person? Well, Jesus certainly believed that it could be taught, right? He talked about it all the time. The reality is this. If we believe that being humble is important, if we believe that it's something that God wants for us, then we also have to believe it can be learned. And so I came across this quote, and let me tell you, it ruined me this week. Charles Spurgeon, he has a way of doing that. Every Christian has a choice between being humble or being humbled. And I started to think about that. And it's like, well, what is he saying? What does he mean? Part of the deal is this. Humility is just simply living peaceably with people. You're not thinking more or less of yourself than you should. You're just living peaceably. Selfish ambition, guys, is a waste of energy. And when we allow it to take over our thoughts, what we end up doing is we end up using so much of our effort just trying to look good. I hearken back to the days of middle school, where how you looked was really important, right? Your self-image. And you didn't want to do anything stupid or anything that made you look dumb. And then you would do it anyway because everyone's awkward and not in control of their bodies quite yet at that point in their lives anyway. You know, they're all growing like a foot over the summer. And then they're trying to walk down the halls without falling on their face. And so you have that thing, right, where you're walking and everybody would hang out at the lockers in between classes, at least in my school they did. And so you kind of be walking, trying to have your strut on, trying to be cool. And then you would trip. So you just act like you tried to run for no reason. Who's done that before? Come on, be honest. Okay, yeah. Okay, you're with me. Good. Right. There's this thing where we try to... uh, be people sometimes maybe that we're not or try to put on this good facade or this good face for people and we expend so much energy that I think we lose sight of even the relationships sometimes uh, that we're trying to hopefully uh, maintain and be a part of with other people. Building relationships requires effort. But we all know that when we have a good relationship, it's life-giving. Like, you don't have to try to put that on. You don't have to try to uh, make it something that it's not because there's life there. Because you have two people that are being honest and they're just taking each other for who they are. And so the important thing that is that we're acting in love. And that we're acting humbly. And then when we start to do that, what happens is our priorities begin to change. One of my favorite books in the Bible is First Peter. And he says in chapter 5, verse 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you. With humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Think about what he's saying there for just a second. When we're proud, God opposes us. So do you realize what that means? It means that when we're proud, he becomes our adversary. When we're proud, he becomes our enemy. And you might think, lots of people do, that they can successfully oppose God. 
Lots of people deny his existence even. But in reality, all of our arms are way too short to box with God. It's true. If we humble ourselves, Scripture tells us that God will exalt us in due time. But the reason that he does that is not for our own glory, but it's for his glory and his purpose. And let me tell you, that's where you want to be. If you're exalted in all of your own glory, that's only going to come crashing down at some point. But when we allow God to raise us up for the purpose that he has, the things that he wants to do, the things that he sees uniquely in you and me that he wants to accomplish, when we just say, oh, you know what, God, okay, cool. Whenever you want to do it, that's fine. I'm going to keep being obedient in the things you've called me to do, and I'm here. Let me know. Whatever it is you want from me, I surrender to whatever that is. When we do that, those are the moments that are amazing. That's when God, you know, a surrendered heart, God can do anything with that. But all of what I just said would also be the opposite. Like the opposite would be true too then. Right? If in our pride we choose to play the role of God and exalt ourselves, then God will take over our responsibility and he will humble us. If we choose to humble ourselves, then God will exalt us. If we choose to exalt ourselves, then God will humble us, right? You might remember a couple weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about uh, the cloak of kindness, right? And I put that on, and it was really funny, and I looked like a goofy wizard kind of for a second there. Um, but the idea was that you know, we were supposed to cover ourselves with kindness. And so that when we uh, interact or we see people in life or we encounter people, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what they're going through, that when we have that cloak of kindness on, that they see Jesus. It's just that same idea as being covered, right? Covered by his blood in our lives, covered by kindness. And in this verse, Peter is suggesting that like kindness, humility is something that we can put on. So maybe it's a hat of humility. I don't know. But there are two ways when it comes to humility. We can either humble ourselves or we can be humbled, but it's going to happen either way. And that's a promise. Verse 6, First Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So it's kind of like this idea. Hey, remember, no one's better than you. But at the same time, don't forget that no one is worse than you either, right? It takes humility to live as no better and no worse than you are. And so that's probably part of the perspective that I want to bring today that we don't often talk about within the church. And so part of what that means is that recognizing that you are just as valuable, but also just as weak as the people that you are called to love in your life. Because usually what we'll do is we'll rate ourselves. You know, you got the your top 10 list or whatever. These are the people in our office, right? These are the 10 people in our office. Not my office, your office. So these are the 10 people. And uh, uh, man, Carl, he's like number one. That guy's awesome. And then you've got Roy and he's rocking it. And then you've got Gladys and she's awesome. She might be number two, frankly. I really don't know. But then, you, get, you know, I'm probably like number five. But I'm not Don. He's number seven. <laughs> right? We do this all the time. All the time we do this. But when you're humble, it means that you recognize that you're valuable, yes, but you're also weak. You're just as valuable and just as weak as the people that you're called to love. And so pride and condemnation, guys, both of those things are the two enemies of humility. We talk about pride all the time, but we don't often talk about condemnation. So here's the difference. Pride says, I deserve to be on top of the world. Look at me. I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful, right? 
That's pride. We think of ourselves way more highly than we should. And it drives our ambitions and the ways that we, that we treat other people. Maybe we don't even know that. Like maybe we're not even aware. It's the subconscious thing. But our self-image really shapes everything that we do. Whether it's in our relationships, our work, our hobbies, the way that we treat people. So that's pride. Condemnation says, not I'm on top of the world, but it says I'm under the world. It says I'm not even worth dirt, right? We become consumed with this guilt and self-loathing. And let me tell you, I've been there before. Many of us have. I understand what that's like. And sometimes we even, even though it's a bad place to be, we will often choose to wallow in that place and in that self-pity. Almost like we get this twisted sort of pleasure out of it. Maybe in a way it's prideful because you're kind of hanging out in this place. And again, I'm not talking about mental illness or anything like that. I'm just talking about this choice where we continue to look at ourselves in the wrong way. And so you're like there and, like, and, it, and maybe sometimes you get attention because of that, right? And so the condemnation says, I'm not worth dirt. And you wallow in that. Really wallowing in condemnation and self-pity is pride in reverse maybe. So if we're truly humble... We also won't put ourselves down, right? So many times the way that we speak about ourselves. I mean, I I hear people say these things. I hear even sometimes my own kids, you know, and we've really tried hard in our home to correct those moments. When one of our kids will say something bad about themselves, especially if it's not true. It's like, listen, that's not true. Do not speak that over yourself. So if we're truly humble... We will not put ourselves down. Love calls us to recognize the value in others, but it also calls us to affirm our own value, guys, as beings created in the image of God, as his sons and daughters. That's worth something. You've heard that saying, people often say, you know, my God does not make any trash. And it's true. When we speak about ourselves in that way, I mean, I think it's okay sometimes to say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or to be critical of something that you've done, or to reflect Those are all great things to do. But when we are condemning ourselves or speaking uh, poorly of ourselves, what we're doing there is we're kind of saying that God doesn't know what he's doing. We're kind of saying that God didn't make us right. And I don't believe that that's true. I believe he knows exactly what he's doing with each one of us. And I would even take that a step further and say that when God looks at each of us, he sees this magnificent, completely unique, unrepeatable being, right? This little conglomeration of DNA and thoughts and ideas and sinews and bones and tissues. And, and like I made this thing and look, look at what she's doing. That is so cool. I knew you could do that, man. Look at him stepping out in faith. That is awesome. I mean, I knew that was going to happen because I'm God and stuff, but that's awesome. He's finally doing it. I think God looks at us. In this way, like we look at your parent, you know, right? You look at your kid and yeah, they may be bumbling around and falling and stumbling, trying to walk. But there's a part of you as a parent, you're like, at least they're trying. That's awesome. Look at how far they've come. And I believe that God says the same thing of us. One other thing that I want to be clear about today is that our desire for affirmation, like being affirmed by other people, that's actually not pride. 
God put that in us, right? It's actually a love language, speaking words of encouragement to people and words of love. It's a love language that we're programmed to respond to. So I don't believe that that in itself, the desire for affirmation from other people, uh, is pride. I think it's important, actually. And the Bible encourages us to speak words of life to other people. Pride is a desire for a claim outside of a love-filled life. Let me say that again. Prior is a desire for a claim outside of a love-filled life. So if love is our way of life, we're humble. Our desire is to be all that we were created to be, nothing more and nothing less. And so if we want to love other people more authentically, we have to remember that we're valuable to God too, right? That's important. So how do we put on this hat of humility, right? How do we do that? Well, the early followers of Jesus had this document, and it was called the Didache, or if you prefer in Italian, the Didache. It's a discipleship manual for the early followers of Jesus. And so uh, in chapter 3, the Didache stresses how how embracing minor sins, like when we hold on to these minor sins in our life, the inevitable thing that's going to happen is they are going to lead to major ones. And so that's why, especially those early disciples, took it so seriously to root all these little things uh, out of their lives and their relationships. But one of the things that it does is it offers this list of character traits that Jesus had. And then it encourages each of us to follow in his example and adopt these same character traits of love. And so here's what it says. Rather, be humble because the humble will inherit the earth. Be patient, merciful, innocent, quiet, and good-natured. Always trembling at the words that you have heard. And so um, I'm just going to go through these real quick uh, to kind of wrap us up today. Uh, Toby Janicki wrote a great book about the DDK if you want to read it. But these uh, are influenced by what he's written there in his commentary. So the first one that it mentions is patient as this characteristic of a life that's defined by humility. And so uh, patience, what it does is it brings us to humility because we are humbled by the fact that we're not in control. It's not just about keeping calm. Or not becoming aggravated when things go wrong. But patience is this complete trust in God. Saying, you know what, God? If I'm waiting, it means that you're doing something. God, if I'm doing this, it means... Ultimately, God, you have control over my life. Everything that happens is under your command. And I trust you. So patience brings us to humility. We're humbled by the fact that we are not in control. And if you're not, you should be, right? So the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 1.16... That Jesus, right? He exercised perfect patience... The second character trait towards humility is mercy or being merciful. And this ties into this concept of forgiveness. And we talked about that a lot uh, in week four of this series, if you want to check it out. But mercy is actually one of the 13 attributes that's listed of the Lord himself in Exodus 34. And the Bible, of course, is full of lots of examples where God shows mercy. He withholds judgment. He gives people opportunities to repent and make things right with him. And sometimes when people say, well, man, why hasn't Jesus come back? Like, I wish he would just get on it. I'm ready to do this. Uh, Number one, we'll point to patience, which was just before this. And then we'll say, you know what? One perspective on that is the fact that God is withholding, right? He's, He's showing mercy. He wants as many men and women to come to him as possible, to come to know him so that they can share in his kingdom. So we are to be merciful like our creator, not exacting the weight of full justice on people. Uh, Mercy humbles us. When we extend kindness, compassion, and forgiveness to others, we realize how much mercy God extends to us. And so Jesus, of course, challenges us to grant and seek forgiveness in Matthew 5, 7, where he says, Be merciful, for blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So that's merciful. Number three is innocent. 
And this is the next aspect of attaining humility. It comes through innocence. And that might seem like a strange one to you. Uh, Messiah himself was referred to as innocent in Hebrews 7.26. Here's what it says. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. The word innocent uh, means more than maybe just being free from sin, which that suggests. To be innocent is also to be blameless or to act with integrity in your life. Uh, The Greek term also refers to someone who is gentle and harmless. So if we're to be humble, we will act with full integrity. No matter what the circumstances or who is watching, knowing that God sees all, we will seek good and not harm for all God's creatures. Still with me? Good? Good. All right. The fourth character trait is quiet. (laughs) This is a fun one. Here's the deal. In Jewish thought, silence or quiet was actually uh, perceived in this whole different way than maybe uh, we understand it. Lots of times we think that the loudest voice in the room or the person that's talking the most or the person that's speaking with the most authority and pounding on the desk is the person uh, that's the smartest in the room. But in Jewish thought, silence uh, is considered a virtue of a righteous individual. And the more quiet that you often were, the smarter people believed that you were. So a wise man realizes that his actions speak louder than words. And of course, most of us know Proverbs seventeen twenty eight says that even those who are not wise can appear to be intelligent if they just don't talk. Is there anyone you can think of that needs to read that verse? Yes, it's me, of course. So, yes, even a wise man can seem intelligent if he just keeps his mouth shut, right? So being quiet helps us to exercise humility by listening to others. I think that's great. This places their needs before ours, and it helps us to realize that not everything we want to say is so important or needs to be spoken. And let me just say that I think especially in a marriage context, this is a really, really important one. Because lots of times we start to hear what it is and we just want to solve the problem. Especially guys, right? We tend to do that. Like we start to hear, you know, my wife just wants to say something. She just wants to get something like just out of her mind, like out so that I know what she's thinking. And she'll start to say it. And I immediately, well, you know, here's what you need to do. You need, it's like, I just need you to listen. I just need you to listen right now. And so this is one of the ways that we can show love to other people in humility that what I have to say isn't as important as what she needs me to hear sometimes. And so I think that's true uh, throughout all of our lives and not even just in our marriages. And so I thought this was really good. Before you open your mouth, be silent and reflect. What benefit will my speech bring me and others? What if we all did that? Well, number one, to be a lot quieter world, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just, I think that's good. And I'm really trying to keep that in front of myself. But just this idea that before I say anything, it's okay to take a pause. It's okay to take a break. You don't have to respond immediately to everything that's said to you. Sometimes you can sit there and just take a breath and think about what you're about to say before you say it. And maybe you're able to even say something, but say it in a different way that's actually going to be encouraging and is going to uh, edify the person and build them up before uh, rather than building them, you know, sending them in a different direction or tearing them down. Because ultimately, that's what we want to do. We want to speak words of love to people. So before we open our mouths, we should be silent and reflect what benefit will what I'm about to say bring to me and bring to other people. The fifth character trait and the last one is being good natured. 
which is, again, a little different maybe from the things that uh, we're used to hearing for our scripture is concerned. This is also referred to as kindness. We dedicated our second week of the series to that. But Jesus was known for his kindness. That's one of the things that everybody uh, knew him for. And what he said in Matthew 12, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. In the New Testament, uh, being good nature refers to someone who is faithful to the Lord and his commandments. Uh, it's also related to the kindness, loving kindness, or in Hebrew, it's hased is the word. And so the fullness of hased or loving kindness is seen in acts of complete humility. Loving others is reaching out to help, expecting nothing in return. And I think that that's hard for us sometimes, right? Especially in our closest relationships. Lots of times it, it, it can be a negotiation, right? I'm going to do this for them because I know that later on when I need this, this is going to happen. And so the idea here is that we are good-natured towards people and we are kind. Uh, we are serving them just out of the sheer joy and the love for that person and the idea that we get to uh, serve them. That it's a, it's a benefit, it's a pleasure, it's an honor to serve other people. And so the question here then that at least I would ask, okay, well, that's great. Kindness is cool, but can't kindness be prideful if we're promoting ourselves in the process? Have you ever thought about that, Pastor Bill? Yes, I have, which is why I wrote it right here. Um, here's the thing. It all comes from our motivation. Every part of it comes from our motivation. So one question to ask yourself when you're going to do something for someone or you want to perform a humble act is this. Am I doing this for something in return? Like, am I doing this for adulation? Am I hoping that somebody's going to notice that I'm over here sweeping? Am I hoping that my wife comes in and she goes, You clean the kitchen? What? Like, if that's what the motivation is, then maybe, I'm not saying don't do it, right? And she's saying, she's saying, no, please do it anyway, right? But we can ask ourselves, am I doing this thing for something in return? It doesn't mean that you avoid the kindness, okay? I want to be clear about that. It's like, well, I was being selfish, so never mind, right? No. It doesn't mean you don't do it, but what it does is it gives you this opportunity between you and God to check your heart. And even have a prayer in that moment. like, God, man, I do want to serve my wife. I love my wife. I want to do this, or I want to serve these people. And show me how to do that without making it about me or about pride or any of those kinds of things. And I guarantee you that God will answer that prayer. And so... Um, the DDK connects all of these things, these five things that we just talked about, uh, to this last aspect. And, and it describes it as trembling at the word, which is kind of weird for us to hear. Um, in fact, what it says is to always tremble at the words that you've heard. So what does that mean? Well, what this is is simply this respect and this honor for God's word uh, as something that's holy. As something that is life-changing, as something that's infused with this spirit that we know uh, has, it's more than just a book, right? That there's, there's things there that God wants to infuse into our lives uh, to change us as people. And so, of course, we see this in scripture. When the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, there was a, a, right, this reverence and this holiness for what God was doing there. And then, of course, the prophets, too, trembled as they encountered the words of God. And so, the challenge here is simply that as we do these things, we have the same respect for God's word, even as our Messiah, as Jesus did. And so that just simply means spending time with it, knowing it, making it a part of who you are, and taking it in and allowing it to change us. And so humility, finally, is living in willful submission as disciples of Jesus, obedient to God's word. Humility is the foundation, guys, of which really I think all of the other godly characteristics, these character traits flow from. 
Because ultimately, we can be kind, we can be loving, all the different things that I've talked about, but if we're always doing that in pride, if we're walking around prideful, it's not working. We're not getting the message. And so the idea is that there's a humility and a surrender that comes so that God can lead us even into these things. And of course, that all makes sense, right? Because our discipleship journey, what does it start with? It starts with surrender, doesn't it? It starts with uh, confession. It starts with repentance, which basically means selfish way is this direction. I'm turning to follow God's way, right? And so this shouldn't be like new information necessarily. Part of discipleship is surrender, surrender surrendering to what God wants to do. And so uh, when we see things, all these things, through this idea we've been talking about of authentic love, this authentic love for other people. Here's what we realize about humility. I just have a few listed for you here. Humility reflects an awareness of one's own place in the world. Humility takes the opportunity to put others first, even if that means making a sacrifice. Uh, Humility shows strength and not weakness. Humility recognizes the needs of others are just as important as our own needs. Humility affirms the worth of others. And humility doesn't waste energy in pride, resentment, or anger. So, as we look at this list, if this doesn't describe our lives right now, then we need to take a moment and we need to check that, right? We need to go before God and we need to say, what do you want to change in us? How do you want to shape us as people? Uh, what is your will for me, God? How, how uh, do I respond to this? And so, today, I just feel led to actually take some time to do this. We have a little bit of time. And so what I've asked is, um, I've asked for Lawrence Young, if he would, to come and just kind of pray about what we've just talked about. And I'd also like any of my uh, leaders or elders that feel compelled to, to come up and just be available for prayer. And I'm just going to lead us in a little bit of worship after he prays. And we'll just take some time. One of the things that Pastor Bill said was um, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And when I think of humility, I think of feet. And um, I remember when uh, Sarah and I got married on our wedding day, um, we washed each other's feet. And when you wash someone else's feet, you think of others. You know? And so when I think of humility, I think about thinking about others and, and loving God and loving others. And um, yesterday I was part of Cappy and Emily's wedding. And I was remembering Cappy and memories that we've shared. And when we went to Ethiopia, we, we washed the workers' feet. And that was a very humbling experience for me. Um, Ethiopia workers, if they have shoes, they're not really good shoes. They're very worn shoes. So their shoes are really dirty and nasty. Um, and so I just, I don't know, it just kind of made me think humility and really thinking about others. But let, let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would um, think of others and that we'd be humble before you, God. Um, And a lot of times that requires just putting our goals, our wants, our desires aside and listening to you and being led by your Holy Spirit. To serve others, to think of others more highly than we think of ourselves, putting our selfish desires aside.
glorify you and to lift you up. And that's a really hard thing to do, especially in the world in which we live in when we see all over the news and the media, um, it's all about you and what you want. But Jesus, you call us, your kingdom is so upside down and different than the world. And you call us to stand out and to be different as followers of you. And so God, I just pray that as a body of Christ, we would be humble before you, that we would get on our knees, that we would seek you in all things. And I think about how as we lower ourselves, there's more room for you and that you are high and lifted up. And I pray that we would take the position of a servant and start looking to others and how we might serve with humility. Father God, may DC be a place where people can come in and feel the love of Christ and feel the love of the people in here, God, and um, knowing that this isn't about a show, it isn't about what's happening on stage, but it's about you and, and advancing your kingdom forward. Father God, we love you. We want to humble ourselves before you now. And whatever that might look like, whether it's coming up to the altar and just bowing before you and confess, confessing um, things that might be in our heart that we need to just kind of lay aside. Maybe pride has really kind of gripped us. Maybe it's just coming and, and praying with uh, someone or praying quietly right there at your seat, God. Whatever it may be, I just pray that we will be obedient in what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name.